Are you guys ready to? Uh... Oh, I'm yeah. ready. You guys ready to go? I I did a lot of research on the Backstreet Boys. I'm, I'm so ready. <laughs> you know that was recording. <laughs> Let's roll with it. Let's uh, do it. Let's do it. Welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. Our our hey. second episode. Episode we, number two, man. We, we I'm made, excited. We made it. Welcome, how are Chip. you? Uh, we have we have yeah, you, uh, our first guest, our first ever I'm guest. I'm so excited about this. Yeah. Do you, would you like to uh, introduce him, Max? In, introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, Max. We don't we don't need to do this. We're not doing all the lifting here. Hi, I'm Max Antonucci. I'm a comedian, and I'm living in Los Angeles. Huge Beach Boys fan, also. Yeah. And honored to do this podcast, by the way. Yes. So and honored we are to have you. Max was our on, on my old podcast. Max, you were our most booked guest ever. You were like the most reoccurring guest. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you'd say like, yeah, Bonnie was on it like 10, 15 times. No, we 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 got her once and then we're too embarrassed to ever ask again. We, we, we were we were we never just... too embarrassed to ask you to be on. And it, was, oh, and it was interesting. They must have been too embarrassed because I was never invited on. So, oh, uh, how that's insane. Yeah, you're very funny, Chip. You should. I, well, you should have been on there like 10 times. You know, I, I'll be completely honest. I'm not a big fan of Ken's in, in the first place. So <laughs> I think it, it probably worked out for the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Chip was Chip's too nice for that. For uh, why bother? I mean, the, the podcast was just uh, us shitting on our friends for an hour straight. Exactly. Yeah. I would, what I have to add, I would like stick up for them and you'd be like this <laughs> loser over here. <laughs> I like that. Chip's a good man. Thank you. Right back at you. And by the way, and I, that was like a joke. I just want to put it out there in the world. I shouldn't have to say that that was a joke, but like, you, you know, how when somebody's like passive aggressive, like, well, I was never on your podcast or you never asked me to do your show. And you're like, you're kidding, but you're not. And like, I'm of course kidding because I don't want to be known as the guy who is being like passive aggressively gets on to do some sort of bar show because he keeps <laughs> dropping random weird emails at, at some, at somebody, you know? <laughs> so, um, what are we talking about this week? We're going to talk about I, the, you know what? Let's, let's pick, let's pick a band. Should we go to the wheel? <laughs> let's go to the wheel. Go to the wheel. We're, we're having Max on cause we're talking about the beach boys. Yes, we are. And Max, what is your relationship with the Beach Boys? If Oh, man. Well, I mean, I've been a fan since I was a, a young kid. Uh, I never liked this. So I first got into it. Uh, my dad was always listening to like Bruce Springsteen. And then he was listening to the Beach Boys. He lived in California when he got back from Vietnam. So I'm sure that was like what he was listening to at the time. And uh I at first I wasn't a big fan because the song Kokomo was what was like oh kind of popular God. when I was born. That came out okay. the year I was born, and that's so to sorry. me it's it's their biggest hit. But to me, it's one of their worst songs ever. It like sure, I mean, it had John Stamos the in the songs. music video. It's not good. Um, it's awful. But 
I started to get into it. I was more interested. Like when I first heard Sloop John B, I was like, oh my God, that's such a great song. And then, you know, as I got older, I started, you know, diving deeper into 60s music. And that's when I really experienced the Beach Boys and like listening through their catalog and seeing how they grew in such a short time is very fascinating. And then, of course, you know, looking at the history, which I'm sure we'll get into, there's so many crazy events that are like tangled up in there. And it's such a fascinating music story. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll date myself here, Max. Uh, my 10th birthday present was to was tickets to go see the Beach Boys with Stamos on drums <laughs> in the Kokomo era. That was my wow. 10th birthday. That was my 10th birthday present and uh, was super excited. But I very much the same way with you, like my my parents, my dad especially was just a I mean, didn't even listen to Springsteen. It was just pretty much all Beach Boys almost like it was like all old Motown or or Beach Boys. And he drove around in a he had a 72, an old 72 uh, a Chevy Malibu that, that he would drive around in. And he had an eight track player. And this is how I'm really dating myself. <laughs> and I just knew it as I the, one of the first words out of my mouth. Like I knew it as the round round car because he would play <laughs> around. <laughs> I, was, you know, two, I was two years old and listen. So like this, me like when I listen to, I get around when I listen to some of these music, it's not, it's not even like childhood memories. It's like, DNA like it's just there I don't ever remember not hearing it like it was just always there so I was always like a Beach Boys fan when I was a young kid just brought up with that it was ingrained in me and then got away from it again because it was lame it was stupid and it's bubblegum stuff for kids and then years later you you know I stumble across it again and just realize how incredible you know a lot of their other stuff was yeah, of course. And it's also like when you look at the bands of that time, you know, with the Beach Boys and the Beatles and the parallels, like their first stuff, they were kids. They were, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. So all their songs are about kids stuff, you know, and then you see them grow over the next like three, four years. And with both bands, we look at them as having their peak at such a longer time. But it was mm -hmm. really only like seven years, like the Beatles were only you know, big, especially in this country for six years before they broke up. Right. Which is insane because we think of it as like so much longer, maybe because we weren't alive at the time, but it feels right. like we were alive right. just because we've listened to it so much. I just want to throw out there that I recently learned that the insane clown posse formed in 1989. They've been together for 32 years the Beatles and the Beach Boys barely lasted a decade. <laughs> like most of our parents are divorced. The insane clown posse, 30 years have been putting it together. And, you know, you know, and sure, the Beatles and the Beach Boys put together some good music, I guess. But, man, they only lasted a couple of years. And of course. look how, you know, sh Shaggy Too Smooth or whatever his name is. And the other guy, Violent J, just they, they, they figured out how to keep it together. I'd like and to make this an insane clown posse episode if you could <laughs> if can, if and we... there's no gathering of the beatles fans you know what i'm saying no yeah there's no yeah there's there, yeah no no gathering of the uh beach bumalos or whatever it is yeah no <laughs> they're too uh, they think they're so sophisticated yeah, <laughs> yeah. with their abbey roads yeah hey hey brian wilson try writing uh god only knows with face paint how about that <laughs> try doing that buddy <laughs> not gonna happen 
Do you know I saw I saw the Beach Boys maybe 15 years ago. We were given free tickets and it was uh it was Mike Love's Beach Boys. There I don't there was no Wilsons involved. Right. And um it was so terrible. They were free tickets and after a handful of songs we left. We were like we're I was ain't I was like I kind of want my money back, you know, like and as we're walking out, they started playing. I think they were playing God Only Knows. And as we're walking out, I heard a roar from the crowd. And I was like, holy shit, like I, I maybe Brian Wilson just came out. Right. And I turned around and like kind of ran back to investigate. And they had trotted out fucking John Stamos. <laughs> and the yeah. crowd went second nuts best. second best and i was like um, oh yeah the, the, this band is done I, I i'm a sucker for the beach boys like i've seen them a bunch of times like throughout my childhood throughout my adult years like it would be a thing where you know like for father's day we'd get my dad tickets so we'd go as a family you know so it was always like an event and uh, just to see Brian Wilson, first of all, we've seen him, you know, the 50th anniversary of Pet Sounds. You know, we saw him do a bunch of these shows, which were great. And we saw like the other Beach Boys. Um, I saw I think it was Pet Sounds where he had like a full symphony orchestra with him. Mm-hmm. And it, so this is just uh, this is just Brian and maybe Al Jardine's with him. But it's Brian. He comes out and does, you know, he's doing his set and he does God Only Knows, which is arguably the greatest song written in the millennium. Like I just arguably the greatest song ever written. God only knows. And he plays it. There's grown men just weeping, just grown men weeping everywhere. And he just turns from his little keyboard after it's over. And just like the most profound, like people are just in tears, beautiful rendition. He just turns to the audience and goes, isn't that a pretty song? <laughs> like he didn't even realize. He's like, yeah, isn't that a nice little ditty? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It is. It's a, pre- it's a pretty little song. So I went and saw, I went with uh, my friend Dina Hashem, very funny comic. We went to uh, the 50th anniversary Pet Sounds at NJ Pack in Newark. And uh, it was so crazy to see it because, it, it you know, it was, uh, they played pretty much three sets. So the first set was just like 10 hits. Then they took a little break. Then they did Pet Sounds in its entirety. And then they did an encore. So it was like three hours of just the beach. Well, just Brian Wilson, Al Jardine and his band. And it was incredible to see everyone was like dancing in the rows. It was just like older people having a great time. And uh, it was just so strange to see Brian Wilson the whole time because it was kind of like you ever see one of those like drugged up circus animals who's just (laughs) sitting there and they're just so trained into it. And yeah. then we're watching this. And during one of the songs, I think it was at the end of Caroline. No, which is the uh, last song on pet sounds. He just gets up after he's done singing. They're still playing the song. He just gets up and walks off stage like no words. He just walks off mid song. And I was just like, what is going on with him? He just has no idea. He's just so trained and into it. And he's in his own world. He's just like, oh, I don't need to be here anymore. And he just walks off stage. Yeah, clocking out. He, I had um, w- one of my old bosses at a show that I wrote on was a reporter for years and in in L.A. and interviewed Brian once and went to his house and like sat down with him and he like he had his publicist there or whatever. But they're sitting and he's talking to him and it's Brian and this is probably in the 90s, I guess. So he's sort of lucid, but, you know, just 
sort of not making sense. But, you know, they did a nice little interview. And then he's like, after a short time, he's like, okay, thank you. I I have to go now and excuses himself. And then the publicist was going to talk to the my boss, the reporter for a little while, too. And Brian's house, I guess, has this like these like balconies, almost like like indoor, like a like an atrium almost where you walk up to there's a landing and another landing. And there's just pianos everywhere, like on all of these different landings, apparently. And so my boss is sitting there interviewing this, talking to this woman for a while. And the whole time, Brian just like would go up to the first balcony and just sit down and not showing off, like almost unaware that they're even there and just starts noodling on the piano and just whips out the most amazing. He was like, it was the most amazing, beautiful melody I've ever heard in my entire life, but just noodles around that and then gets up and then just kind of wanders up to the next level and then just starts playing a completely (laughs) different, brilliant song on the piano and just, and then would just wander around from piano to piano. And he did that for like a half hour, apparently. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Crazy. That's amazing. I wonder how much is just like God-given talent. Like he really, Brian, I know so much has been done on on the genius of him. Like he's the closest thing America's had to like a Beethoven or a Mozart. But you wonder how much of that is just being touched with talent and then how much of it was just beaten into him. By, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think by, his, by his dad. It's, it's all of the above, Nature. man. It's all yeah, of the above. Yeah. They were he's like, also, they, they were like, also, um, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, he's also one hell of a ventriloquist. I don't know if you know that. If you ever seen us act, <laughs> I just made that up. I like how we were like interrupting each other and I had to get that. <laughs> no, 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 guys, guys, I need to, I need to say this. You know, it's kind line. of funny. I I actually be- almost believed you for a second. I literally stood back. And I was like, wait, was, did Brian actually ever do ventriloquist? <laughs> right. They, yeah. They, the Beach Boys were kind of like the Jackson five. Like that's who I keep coming back to when I read about it. Like it was just this group of brothers. And one of them was obviously, you know, a legitimate genius, uh, but like tortured. And um, their dad just fucking beat talent into them. He and, and, and he, he beat he beat the happiest, sunniest songs into them. Like you, yeah. you wouldn't think like like beating somebody would then you know turn into she'll have fun, fun, fun till her daddy takes the T-bird <laughs> away. Like that, they should have been, I feel like they should have been beating depressing songs into them. Of course, yeah. yeah. I wish my father used to kick the shit out of me because then maybe I'd be a little further along in my career. But <laughs> <laughs> you gonna do? That's all I take when I read these things. It's like Murray Wilson, though, the father was a sick, like he was a sick fuck. Like, he was a sack of shit. He... So obviously there's the story that Brian Wilson is deaf in his right ear because his father smacked him in the head with a two by four, which is that's even like beyond child abuse. Right. Uh, And then apparently what he used to do to to Dennis Wilson, who was always kind of like stepping up to him because he was like the hot head of the group and the only surfer, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But whenever he used to like get in trouble with his dad, his dad used to like because his dad had a fake eye. He would take it out and stand nose to nose with Dennis Wilson and make him look into his like empty eye socket. Oh, my God. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And if he flinched, he would just like he would hit him. He would haul off on him. That is, you know, my dad had one ball and he used to make. (laughs) (laughs) 
that is. Cr- I didn't know that about <laughs> Murray. No, I didn't. I didn't know that either. That's that yeah, is sick, crazy. Man. And he was so jealous of Brian's talent. It's so weird to think that like you have this, this you know, like I said, like like a Beethoven or a Mozart in your own family, and and nobody was nurturing them. It, it seemed like it seemed like everybody was just jealous. Hey, yeah. Because Murray was a part-time composer so he, i mean he he did have that element of musicianship and that desire to be a famous musician and just never never made it so just took it out on took it out on the kids but then also sort of molded them to do what he couldn't he was their early manager too like in the very early yes. days of the beach yeah. boys he was their manager he tr- tried suggesting lyrics but they were always fucking terrible and he would be and brian like eventually would just tell him dad those are horrible lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, when, they had such an so, interesting dynamic too that that I was last night I was trying to think of any other band that had an arrangement like this. Like at some point, Brian got tired of all the surf music and he became um, he started getting like acute stage fright and he stopped touring with the Beach Boys. They they brought in Bruce, uh, what Johnston, Bruce Johnston, Bruce Johnston to to replace him on mm-hmm. tour, and then he just went home to write their new album, which ended up being Pet Sounds. But he records it with studio musicians, so it's like you have the touring Beach Boys, which is one entity, and they're all singing songs that Brian's written and composed, and then you have the recording side, which was really just brian wilson you know in indulging uh he had it in his head that he could write a masterpiece so he he set out to do that without any of the band's input so it was it was like you had two completely different beach boys yeah and the cool thing about that is too like with brian wilson just like when you look at other bands if you hear something like that with another band where like the one guy goes off and does this other thing you're like oh that guy is trying to like clearly like put himself in front of everyone else. He was doing this for the good of the band. It wasn't like feeding his own ego or anything like that. He was just like, we got to compete with rubber soul. Like at this time, the Beatles are putting out albums and they're in direct competition with them. You know, like they went out to London, the beach boys went out to London and they got laughed off stage because they were all wearing like the striped shirts looking like a barbershop quartet. (laughs) They laughed them out of there because at this time, you know, people are starting to drop acid. Everyone's fucking everybody. It's one of those things where, like, they're still in 1955 with appearance and their early catalog, you know, and they needed to, you know, go up against Rubber Soul. So he really stepped it up to the next level. And that caused some friction within the band, even though I think he was doing it like we need to really like compete. This is for the good of the band. Well, yeah. his brothers. Yeah, were just, just artistically, it. yeah. His brothers were 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 okay with it. They understood the the questionable. Why'd you go off and write the whole album yeah. without us? But they were able to appreciate it, except for Mike Love, who yeah, who famously who famously was like stick to the formula of yeah. what made yeah. the Beach Boys work. And no, if we had stuck to the formula, we wouldn't have gotten Pet Sounds. We wouldn't have gotten anything that we got in those later years. So. No, and Eat they, shit, Mike Love. <laughs> yeah, Mike Love sucks. They they would have and it was they would have fizzled out. They yep. would have fizzled right out with just writing. And I, but I can can you imagine being Mike Love and and hearing God only knows for the first time and being like, 
Wishy washy. Uh, yeah, I I you can't write any more songs about hamburger stands. <laughs> yeah, let's do another song about a Honda. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, and that was what happened because once you know Brian retreated and started doing that, and then when he really dropped off when he wasn't doing anything, like I guess late sixties, early seventies, that's when Carl and Dennis really picked up the ball and started. You know, nobody really expected much from Dennis, first of all. You know, he was just kind of a, a drummer that was self-taught and wasn't even that traditionally great. But he stepped up as a songwriter. Carl stepped up as a songwriter and was trying. they were trying to push the envelope. And meanwhile, Al Jardine and Mike Love were just like, no, let's, let's. Which, you know, in hindsight, we're like, oh, yeah. But, like, at the same time, it's like, boy, if I'm making money and I do. Because they did have big crowds. Like, if they're doing fun, 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 and they do have big crowds coming out, it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix right. it. Like, part, I think part of me would be like, well, let's pay the piper. You know, it's like if it's working, it's working, you know, but it, it is. But just the music that that even Brian and Carl started writing was great and just of the times. And it wasn't this 50s, 60s, you know, bubblegum stuff. I think I'm one sure. of the best songs ever, like Beach Boys entirely, is written by Dennis forever. If every word I said could make you laugh. I know oh, yeah. John Stamos goes to cover it really horribly later on, but <laughs> but that is, I think, one of the best later years Beach Boys songs, like after Pets, after Pet Sounds and all that, because I, I think that's mid seventies, right? Like, yeah, I agree. Sunflower, Su- yeah, yeah, Sunflower, and I think Wild Honey, like some of those were were great. Holland. They had some really great yeah some really great uh really great tunes that really pushed it but i think and again it's it is dollars and cents i think too even in the 70s like people are like well how do you even market this because it's like it is different it is groundbreaking but it's it's from this package that is known for it's just pop stuff so it's i think it was it was hard for for people really to even digest it and figure out what they were trying to do because they were two different bands at that time right yeah so let, let's talk about Dennis Wilson, because that's that's <laughs> what we were because I, I feel like everybody knows, you know, like Brian's talked about ad nauseum. And even now uh, today, like now people talk about Mike Love a lot now because uh, he's he's been in the news and sort of taking control of them. And um, but Dennis Wilson's kind of like the forgotten beach boy, but he also has the darkest, most fucked up story out of all of them. Yeah. yeah. And and also, like, obviously, he was the only surfer in the group because of him. Like, without him, none of it would be possible. He was the one who was hip to the surf culture. You know, he was out there. He was the coolest one, in my opinion. Like, when you just look, like, he was always right. getting fucked up Brian, and everything. Those, he Brian, was a womanizer. Those songs were essentially Brian was writing about Dennis's life. All, all yeah, of those yeah. early songs. Were, were Brian. He had these he had these amazing songs or at least, you know, like of the time, you know, early 60s, like these great melodies, these great harmonies. But he didn't really have the words. And he's like it was just like sappy love lyrics. And they're like, what we need to find something that's going to set us apart. And it's like, yeah, surfing, you know, let's let's Dennis is doing it. Uh, let's, you know, make it happen. So but Dennis has uh, Dennis has a connection to Charles Manson. Yeah, that. um that a lot of people don't know about that. I also think it's like, I think it's kind of funny that like, it, it's sort of like the thing with them getting beaten into sunny songs. Like they were like the, 
the sunniest, most optimistic sounding band. And then behind the scenes, you, you had one of the key members running around with Charles Manson. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like nowadays we talk about how accessible celebrities are with the Internet and everything. But like, how crazy is it that Dennis Wilson happened to pick up two hitchhikers yeah. who were followers of Charles Manson? He brings them to his house because they're, you know, younger women. He goes to a recording studio. He comes back at like 3 a.m. And in his driveway is Charles Manson, who is like shorter than the shortest woman you've probably ever slept with. He's like five one, five two. I'm only five foot one. I got a pain in my neck. I'm looking up in the city. What the hell? And he, you know, Dennis is like, "Oh, um, are you gonna hurt me?" And he's like, "Do I look like I'm gonna hurt you, man?" And then he just like drops down and starts kissing his feet. Which so is he's amazing. just yeah. like, but like, that's such a bizarre thing. And now he has Charles Manson and his whole, you know, cult following living in his house. Yeah. He's got like a harem of, of women that just moved. And they're all like, if you look at it, it's like a harem of like sixes and sevens. Yeah. They're not good. <laughs> um. Charles Manson wants to be a musician. A lot of people don't know Charles Manson was like a failed folk singer. He wanted like if he could have chosen between being like a cult leader that that killed everybody or being a folk singer, like he would have chosen folk singer. For sure. Yeah, he would have been mid-level. Yeah, it's like Hitler being a decent artist. Like if somebody yeah. bought a couple of his paintings. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Somebody just bought some of Hitler's watercolors. He he probably could have just settled into that. And it's funny because I feel like a lot of comics wish they were musicians or rock stars also, as opposed to being like a big comedian. Like, yes. That's what I always oh, feel like. I would. So it's if, like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Chip and we, I we, talked I about we, it on the first. I would I would trade comedy to, to be able to for sure. play an instrument well, like well enough to do I, live. I, I would trade that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I literally used to hang out with my brother's band in Philadelphia, my little brother, two years younger. Like we would, I would just always basically be a roadie and like I would be hanging out with their band, just playing bars and that type of thing. And I, I could play a little guitar, but I wasn't good and I wasn't good enough to play with them. But like I wanted to do something. I wanted to be a part of it. So it was like, you're funny. You know, they're like open for us, tell jokes. That's literally how I got started in comedy because oh, I wasn't awesome. cool enough to play. Because <laughs> you, uh, you weren't good enough to do what you wanted to do. Exactly. So I, was like, oh, I can tell jokes, I guess. And that's how same, it happened. Same thing. I think what's what's so fascinating about um, Dennis Wilson hanging out with Charlie Manson. So now Manson has access to the Beach Boys and and some of, you know, some of their celebrity. And um, he uh, Terry Melcher, who was Doris Day's son and son, a record yeah. producer at the time. Dennis introduces him to Terry Melcher. And Max, correct me if I'm wrong. I know I know that you're no, you're right. You're, and um, and uh, Terry Melcher agrees that he'll listen to a demo. You know, he he tells Charlie Manson to record a demo, and then he'd listen to it, and if he liked it, then they could talk about a record deal. So, which is insane, by the way. Just the sentence that you just said. Yes. It's like Terry Melcher for Capitol Records was like, "Yeah, I'll listen to Charles Manson's records," but like you have to remember, like he's just this guy. Like he's just a, 
Nobody knows who he is. He's he, just this like, he's, okay, he's sort a of weird, weird folk singer guy. Charismatic guy that had tons of girls, you know, that that yeah. you that were always hanging around, which I guess fed into everybody's ego. But so he he cuts this demo and gives it to Terry Melcher. And Terry Melcher ultimately decides wasn't wasn't good enough. And I think I think Manson got a little weird with him on a couple occasions. Yeah. So Terry Melcher just, you know, passes. And then and then that's when Manson goes off the deep end a little bit and is like, all right, like now I'll just we'll we'll stab everybody. Like if I can't if I can't make a fucking surf record, <laughs> then, then yeah. we'll we'll stab everybody. So well, he just started so the, pulling out a knife, like uh, like I think he pulled out a knife, like in the in brother studio. I think it's brother studios, brother records studios. Like he, did, which made me realize, like I don't carry a knife around because, like, I'm not a crazy person. But like, if I carried a knife around, <laughs> oh geez. I'd probably pull it out all the time. Like I carry a knife around, just, and I, I don't consider myself a crazy person. But just like anytime somebody in CVS just kind of gets in my face. It's like, I'm just going to pull out the knife. Like, let's just see what happens. Like, I'm saying it wasn't totally Charlie's fault. Yeah, it, it's it's a little crazy. Uh, so <laughs> this, the straw that really broke the camel's back was, uh, you know, Charles. Uh, I call That's him Charles. Beautiful. Charlie had <laughs> a uh, song called Cease to Exist, which was like, you know, some shitty strumming on an acoustic guitar uh folk song and what happened was he brought it to dennis wilson dennis wilson like gives him some money it was like okay you know he gave him cash we'll and a this- motorcycle i read yeah so he's like we'll use this song and uh he winds up completely changing it he changes charles manson's words to cease to resist and the song is never learn not to love which is just like a terrible title for a song. But uh, it's actually, I think it's a pretty decent song. It's very catchy. Um, But that's what like drove him crazy was when Charles, Charles, when Charlie heard (laughs) a call by his God given name, Um, uh, Mr. Matt, if you could, Mr. (laughs) Matt, Mr. Matt, my apologies. So when Sir Charlie hears that, he goes, he goes nuts because his words, that's like his main thing is his words, man. You know, he's always preaching. And listen, I live like 15 minutes from Spawn Ranch, like where it was. I've been there a bunch of times. It's super like it's an eerie place. They have the rock there that he used to like stand on and sing his songs and give his sermons to. Oh, man. But that's what like really drove him off the deep end was him just taking that control of that song and changing it and putting it out there. And if you think about it, Dennis Wilson was completely in the right because he had Charles Manson, the whole Manson family living in his house. He, they burned through like a hundred thousand dollars of Dennis Wilson's money, which today is $700,000. And they said a lot of that money went to um, penicillin shots, penicillin shots (laughs) for all the gonorrhea gonorrhea that was getting passed around that house. Oh, they were all pissing hot flames that whole 19, <laughs> the whole summer of love. That's what was happening. 
But it, by the way, piss piss and hot flames would be a better title than never learn not to love. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's always like that's like that's like a kid like trying to get out of like uh, uh, getting in trouble. It's like, will I never learn not to love? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Bart yeah, yeah. Simpson. <laughs> Um, uh, by the way, speak, speaking of which, um, cease to exist and then he turns it to cease to resist. G- moving forward to the late 80s, one of my favorite bands, uh, the Pixies, their song Wave of Mutilation, which is about basically inspired by these Japanese businessmen who would like drive their car off a cliff into the ocean to kill themselves. Uh, his The first line is cease to uh, cease to resist. And sometimes they would change it to cease to exist uh, just to uh, just as a, an homage to. Charles Manson and Dennis Wilson. It, it is weird. There are people, and I've met them, who like listen to Charles Manson's music, and they're like, "It's actually not that bad." And I'm like, "No, it's bad, dude. Like, stop <laughs> trying to worship this guy because he got people to kill for him. Like, it's not good." You know, you yeah. know what I was thinking about was, um, it's amazing, like how history turns on a dime, like, a, like a failed demo is that was the difference between like us, like him being Charles Manson and us having another shitty folk singer in the seventies, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, thank God it turned out the way it did. Cause at least like he turned, like he became interesting. Like we never would have, that music would have never made it out of the seventies. E- even, even if some of it charted, nobody would have remembered it. People remember him now. Like, thank God it turned out. For sure. His music just would have been another influence on Mumford and Sons making him even worse, (laughs) you know? (laughs) What I just saw the Mumford and Sons guys in some trouble. Yeah. One of them. I thought that's why you said that. One of the the banjo player. What happened? The banjo player. Always. What what happened with that? Yeah, I I didn't see the whole story. Apparently, the banjo player was like tweeted out, I think, some respect or like, hey, this guy's great to some like super conservative, like right wing uh, guy who wrote a book or something. I didn't didn't see the whole story, but like, was basically like, yeah, this guy's great. He's got a lot of great ideas. And it was like, it was like super, I don't know if it's like white nationalist or whatever. And then uh, now he's stepping away from Mumford and Sons to, uh, you imagine play banjo with somebody else. Fucking taking banjo lessons and having it actually pay off. And then you like you have to <laughs> you have to step away. Like against all odds, you you became a banjo player that made money and, and you Right, exactly. And and you're throwing it all away. And like and people were outraged and like I get anger, but like how can you be outraged like He's a banjo player. Like, yeah. you this? He's a ba- he plays the banjo. Like I'm not saying it's right, but it's not surprising it's, at all. I saw I saw yesterday on Twitter that Mumford and Sons was trending, and I was like, oh, I wonder if they're canceled, or if like Rudy Giuliani tried planning an event at like Mumford and Sons car wash or something. Like I. <laughs> um. All right, so uh, we we got off topic there, but so okay, so so Charles Manson, they they find out he 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 can't be his dreams of being a folk singer can't be realized, and right. he is so angry at Terry Melcher and Dennis Wilson. Now, this is what a lot of people I think don't know. So the house where Charles Manson sent everybody to to kill uh, Sharon Tate and everyone else. 
that was um, Sharon Tate and um, what's the Roman Polanski? The, yeah, the molester director guy. You're gonna um, have to be a little more specific. <laughs> <laughs> the one, oh, the one from the seventies. <laughs> um, I, I still have to be more specific. Um, <laughs> the one in California, not Manhattan. Okay, yeah. yes. Um, that that was Max's code for saying not a Jew. Um, <laughs> the, the, the house was, uh, Roman Polanski's house was a rental property. They were renting it from Terry Melcher. It was Terry yeah. Melcher's house and he moved out of it and started renting it. And the reason Manson sent them to that house to kill those people was to send a message to Terry Melcher and the beach boys. Like, look yeah, at, look at what we can do. You can't yeah, hide from he, us. He had known that. Terry Melcher had moved out like it was one of those things where, you know, there was confusion at first thinking maybe he sent his people there because they thought Terry Melcher still lived there. He knew he had moved out. I think he had sent like a bullet to Terry Melcher's house, like new address or something where he showed up there to threaten him, but he wasn't there. There was a lot of like he he gave. And at one point he gave a bullet, I think, to Dennis Wilson's maid or something like that. Yeah. Like give this to his kids. Yeah. Yeah. So he, they knew that he wasn't there. So it was one of those things where, and you know, we could speak for hours about was this a CIA conspiracy? Me and Ken read that chaos book um, that yes. talks about it. But from from everything that seems to be the truth, he went up there, sent his followers up there to just kill everyone on the block. It was supposed to be, but it just wound up being, uh, you know, Sharon Tate and then J.C. Ring and. The other the coffee lady people. wasn't there like a coffee lady yeah uh folgers yes. yeah i think yeah 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 i forget i forget the name but uh killed four people in that house and then one outside of the house who was just there trying to sell a stereo to the guy staying in the guest house yeah so they just went up there and killed everyone they could uh just because charles manson couldn't get a record deal yeah that's so crazy. Do you think Terry Melcher, like, do you think when the, like, Dennis Wilson and Terry Melcher, when the news comes out and, and it's determined people at this house were killed to send you a message? Do you think, like, at one point Terry Melcher was, like, sweet? You, like, you know, like, well, <laughs> <laughs> they could have, like, they knew where I was. They just wanted to send me a message like they could have just gone and killed him do you think he was like oh that sucks for them but kind of also yeah. kind of Ooh. sweet that you did yeah or like he goes the other way he's like you know what cancel the peter paul and mary recordings let's bring manson <laughs> in he's proven his point get him in he's here. he's gone above and beyond he is really showing some true grit there let's hey, give peter, him he, like, he, he turns around like willy wonka and it's like you won <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Pete, I don't, whichever one of those guys is still alive is in a lot of trouble now. Peter or Paul. I don't know which one's alive. Oh, really? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, one of the kids from. No, the, the Peter, Paul and Mary. Oh, Peter oh, Yarrow, I think. I think it's Peter. He's in a lot of trouble. He's kind really? of a monster, too. He's given. Uh, they, they got him on uh, a, a bunch of pedophilia stuff. Puff the magic dragon, lived by the 
a mist in a land called Hanali. I was just reading, which is crazy because it seems like as you like go on with this, like because you got to think about it at that time, it sounds like everybody was just sleeping with underage chicks. Like there's no way these Manson followers were all above 18. No. And Dennis Wilson's living with 17 of them. He even said it in a, a news article, like an interview. He was like, yeah, man, I'm living with 17 girls. I got this guy, Charlie, that I follow. This was like a year before the murders. And there's like it seems like everyone was just sleeping with underage like uh, runaways. Like that's the common trend throughout the 60s and 70s. Right. It's very strange. You know, it was really you know, it was even weirder was when when Dennis Wilson started to realize that, like, all right, there's there's something weird with this guy that I just let move into my house. Um, He Dennis eventually to avoid trouble, just he moved. He was like, here, you guys can, I guess, keep my house and I'll just go get a new one. Yeah. Which I guess is is a good thing about being a celebrity is if you ever let a cult move into your house, you have them. Like if I let a cult move into my house and then wanted them gone, I I wouldn't be able to like just afford a new house. A new house. Right. Yeah. And then think about it. Let's say he did kick them out of his house. It's like they know where he lives. He can't stay in that house anymore. It's not that he knew the extent of what could have happened, but I mean, just, yeah, he's going to, he's going to get away from that. Yeah. I think he made the right choice (laughs) here. It's your (laughs) house now. (laughs) Yeah. Just take the house. It's good. Too much bad juju. Oh my God. And, and like, you know, when you look at Dennis Wilson too, like as time went on, you know, he started after that. I think he that was the really beginning fucked. of the end for him. Right. Yeah. And, you know, he started drinking heavily. And I don't know if you've seen like those uh, videos of the performances from like towards the end of his life, because, you know, he died at 39. He drowned not to get ahead yeah. of ourselves. But his last few performances, his voice is haggard. He looks like hell. He looks like he's in his like late 40s, early 50s. And he's only like 38 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was the uh, I think the their Fourth of July performance in where they brought 80. Brian back, I think. Yeah. And it was just, uh, you know, like horrific. I mean, he just looks like every uncle who like wanders up to the podium during a <laughs> wedding reception. And you're like, no, 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 no don't, do don't don't say something. And he just because he was like, you know, he was the sex symbol. He was the and he just he just looks like this old man and can barely talk. And even when he was doing. So I, and I guess we'll get back to Pacific Ocean Blue, which he did. He did put out this album in the late seventies that was amazing, which yep. really surprised a lot of people. But then that second album, Bamboo, that he tried to put out, like his voice was just so ripped up from drugs and alcohol that he he brought Carl in to because he would like sing half the song and then just couldn't hit those notes and make it sound decent. So it's like you would hear these songs where it's like half Dennis and then or then Carl would just take over, you know, singing these songs. But he really got really got beat up at the end yeah it's real sad to watch you know and like the crazy thing is so there apparently mike love had an illegitimate daughter who uh was i think 18 at the time uh based on everything we just talked about probably 17 or 16 who really knows (laughs) uh but mike love always said she's not my daughter she's not my daughter 
Dennis Wilson starts dating her, winds up marrying her. This causes some what? friction. I didn't know which, any of this. Yeah, yeah this oh, yeah. causes yeah. friction between the two. Like it almost comes to blows on stage. Like Dennis Wilson kicked a drum set off the off the whatever you know the riser. Yeah, off the riser at Mike Love. Like could have seriously injured him, all because of this. And that was one of the things that really like got him removed from the band. You know, it was so insane because Mike Love just would never admit that this was his daughter. And you but know, aren't, if you think but about aren't it, they cousins? Yeah, so they are. Den- so Dennis Wilson married his his cousin, his second cousin, illegitimate daughter. Yeah, is, is the only person in the kid? band who wasn't family was Al Jardine. Everyone else was, you know, it was the Wilson brothers, and then Mike Love, the cousin, and then of course, you know, Bruce Johnson, all them. Al Jardine was like a family. neighbor kid, right? Yeah, he was their childhood yeah. friend. Yeah. But it, it's just insane. So yeah, pretty much this was Mike Love's illegitimate daughter. So I don't know what's that is like second cousin once removed yeah. or something like that. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, and insane. and there was always that even before that there was that rivalry between because he was such Dennis was such a staunch defender of his brothers, especially Brian. Like when yep. Brian's going crazy, he he's his biggest defender, saying, "Look, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him." Jardine and Love really want to just keep moving along. And then so there was that friction that we talked about. And since Brian was the one that everybody or I'm sorry, Dennis was the one that all, all the women loved and everybody loved, he would come out more and more behind the drums to sing, like specifically just to take the spotlight away from Mike Love, the lead singer, just to be like, screw you. And then saying he would sing You Are So Beautiful a lot, which I didn't realize, you know, Joe Cocker obviously made that song popular and it was, I guess, a Billy Preston song. But Dennis apparently helped Billy Preston write You yeah. Are So Beautiful. And and there are a couple of live performances of him doing it, you know, earlier on. And uh, and then it just gets really bad. I mean, if you want to see something rough to watch, it's those last few uh, renditions of You Are So Beautiful by Dennis. Yeah, it, it's really sad seeing how it ended for him. And like another one of the things, like, I don't know if it's just like as time went on, but like, when you look at, you know, the beginning of the Beach Boys and you watch how they are performing on stage, Mike Love has zero charisma as a front man. You know, like yeah. he just dances real nerdy. He's kind of just like going like that. He's doing like the Trump thing the whole time where he does the weird, <laughs> yeah. the weird dance, the dicks in the mouth thing. <laughs> That's his whole thing from like the 60s on. And even now when you see them performing at these like MAGA rallies and all this, like, you know, USA beach tour, you know, like, yeah. it's still Mike love doing the same thing, singing the same old hits. Um, and it's good to see that like Al Jardine stuck with Brian Wilson through all this. Like yeah. he was, he was just like, cause Mike love is clearly an egomaniac. He's come out and said, well, actually I contributed to this song, I contributed to Pet Sounds, and with it, you know, like They've you watch sued each it, other and you're just multiple like, times. Yes. like there yeah. was a there was a case in the mid '90s because originally Good Vibrations, God Only Knows, and like all, most of the Beach Boys early catalog was just credited towards Brian as a writer. Like notably, for example, Good Vibrations. The only thing Mike Love contributed to that song was "I'm picking up good vibrations." That's it, right? And yeah. giving me the excitations. That's it. 
that's every, a, to be fair, that's a pretty big part of this. Yeah. Song. Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, he did receive something, but it wasn't like it was a deal already in place. But then when this thing in the 90s hit, he was just getting credits added to all these other songs that he arguably probably didn't even have any part to do with. Right. So it was they've they've gone to blows many, many times. On stage, off stage, court, like it's, yes. it's it's dangerous. It is funny to think too, like just to how corny and sunny that music is, and then you know they're coming to blows backstage. Like like yeah. one minute they're they're all just like ba 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 ba, and then they're backstage like you fucking <laughs> asshole, <laughs> throwing punches. There's a <laughs> and then in I think it was 2012 they finally got Brian back and they did. Yep. A, a big tour with everybody and basically at the end by, by that point like in the the 90s or the 2000s that's when one of the lawsuits was that mike love got the rights to the name the beach boys for touring so yeah he was the only one that was allowed to tour like even al jardine would go off and be like it would be like Al Jardine with the Beach Boys friends and family, like yeah. one of those deals, which which yeah. always is like the saddest whenever you see that. It's yes. like yeah. an evening with Soundgarden. You're like, that's not really Soundgarden, is it? It's just like, it's like, you know. <laughs> it's like what they like did the, with ELO. The, right. the, gin, the Gin Blossoms experience. You're like, it's yeah. not, it's, it's, it's <laughs> one basis that maybe, but like would sue them. So finally they got back together under the Beach Boys. Everybody's there. And I, I'm at the end of the tour and Mike has the rights to the naming. At the end of the tour, basically, he he and Bruce Johnston were like, yeah, we're moving on as the Beach Boys and nobody else is involved. So after that big tour, to the surprise of the the remaining Wilson brothers and I guess Al Jardine, they were just like, yeah, you're basically fired. We're going to move. We're taking this ride the rest of the way. And none of you are involved. Yeah. yeah and, it, you know, it's a uh, it is weird because there was like that point in the late sixties when Brian stopped touring with them and you know, the Beatles just kept on evolving and the beach boys were regressing. They were going back to, you know, that old formula. So like there was a time in the, you know, early seventies, they were performing at like senior centers. They, they, they were, were an oldies act before they yeah. were old. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is wild to think that they were in their, that's so bad. Yeah, they're in their mid twenties, maybe, and and yeah. they were already kind of an oldies act. Yeah, and it, you know, it's like it's come for. Well, I don't want to say it's come full circle because I feel like Mike loves Beach Boys still perform at huge venues and everything, but like I feel like they they should be performing at fairgrounds, you know, throughout right. New Jersey, you know, like. And Brian Wilson and Al Jardine should be selling out huge arenas and they, you know, they sell out theaters and everything. But Mike Love, to me, just when you look at him, like even through the 60s, when they all started, you know, everyone was starting to drop acid and Mike Love was a nerd. He was but he was still trying to look the part like you could see he tries to go with whatever yeah, is the, the, the hippie. Yeah, they yeah. like you see those clips of them when they would well, play with the Grateful Dead and they were dressed like hippies. They looked the part. Huge beards. But they're still doing those fucking goofy songs. And yeah, but he also got in with like the Maharishi and yeah. like all this like yoga and meditation and stuff like that, that he like kept up through the years, which is just a w whole other weird angle that he 
that he took. Can yeah, you he, can you imagine the balls on Mike Love sitting Brian Wilson down and being like, "You're out." Like, can, can you like? They'd be like the news, being like, "Hey, hey, Huey Lewis, sit sit down. We got to talk." <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my. Very ill advised power move on his behalf, I'd say. And, and if you got if you guys have not yet seen it, and I ask anybody to watch this they got inducted into the, the rock and roll hall of fame in 88 i think it was and like that you know carl made a nice little speech and like you know our brother dennis isn't here thank you for him and brian had a prepared speech and then mike love goes off for like five minutes just going after the beatles the rolling stones <laughs> springsteen <laughs> billy joel diana ross and was just like, they're not here. They can't keep up with us. I, I dare any of them to get on stage. It was like watching a pro wrestler do an interview. Like, oh, and you think Bruce Springsteen can hang with us? And it's it's crazy. It, it is, it's eight minutes of like celebrating their career. And he just takes it to g- just go off on basically everybody else in the Which is so fun. Yeah, because he's like the lowest man on the totem pole going after... I mean, that's hilarious. That'd be like, uh, I, I don't know. That'd be like fucking Shemp from the Three Stooges <laughs> being like, like yelling about how Abbott and Costello aren't funny. And it's like, all right, listen, like you were in this cool thing, but you're not really. <laughs> you're yeah. Not like, really and, and I think it. that's, it's that bitterness. I'm sure that he's like, it's cause it's gotta be frustrating. Cause it's like, he's probably a multimillionaire, obviously sells out crowds, but like, that artistic thing where he, ki- I think, kind of knows people are like, oh, they're just an oldies act. And he doesn't have that same respect or recognition. And it's just he's just angry about it. Yeah. For someone who has spent, you know, f- at that point, you know, 25 years practicing TM, he had zero awareness. Like you look at. <laughs> yeah. When you when you look at Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, you're like, oh, and he's going off on other people. You're like, oh, that's why he's great. And you understand it. But when you see Mike Love doing it, you're like, dude, you ain't Jordan, man. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like BJ Armstrong going off on everybody. <laughs> There's something I want to add about that clip that he's talking about. By the way, I because it adds to his ego. He's wearing a Beach Boys hat the entire time. Like he's just wearing like <laughs> he's wearing his own freaking merchandise to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame introduction. And when I saw that, I was just like, you fucking egomaniac. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, God. Maybe we could, uh, maybe we could edit a, a, a little clip of that in. Yeah, we were asking them about the interest of seeing Pasquale's, you know, messing around. What I want to see is this whole room recognize that there is one Earth here. And I want us to do something fantastic with all this talent and all this wonderful spirit and soul. And I'd like to see some people kick out the jams, not challenge the box to get up on stage and jam. I want to see Billy Joel, see if he can still tickle libraries. Let me see. I know Mick Jagger won't be here tonight. He's going to have to sing. England. But I'd like to see us in the Coliseum and him in the stadium because he's always been chicken shit to get on stage with the Beach Boys. And we're going to do it for world peace and love and harmony. Yeah. Um, 
Anything else? Is there anything we missed? Uh, well, I mean, you know, Brian Wilson spent like three years in bed at one point. He wound up getting involved with Eugene Landy, who was a uh, doctor, doctor who his wife, uh, Marilyn, called in to help him out of it. And to be fair, he did get him out of that weird depression. Yeah, he, he, he got him to lose weight. He got his meds, I guess, kind of right. He started then, off with very good intentions and, yes. and I and think then, did a little bit of good and then became power and then he, hungry. Yeah. And then he had 80% power over all of his finances and started giving himself songwriting credits, started sitting him in front of one of those pianos that Chip was talking about earlier in his house and making him pump out tunes, uh, which weren't good. So he completely abused his privileges and he wound up losing his license and they got a restraining order against him. He couldn't go anywhere near Brian Wilson. And uh, I would also say anybody and it's it's on YouTube. Check out there's a BBC doc about Dennis Wilson, which is great. I would definitely watch that. Uh, yeah, it really tells the story about him coming up through the Beach Boys, but then also afterwards in his decline. And like he had this high time in the 70s where I, you could just tell he's running from this whole Manson thing and he's tortured by it. And there's a lot of drinking. And of course, because his brother Brian and he really tried to help him and uh, but he had these two loves. He had the studio, the Brothers Record Studio, which was the Beach Boy Studio, which he would go in and just like loved and put out that great album, Pacific Ocean Blue, which is really pretty amazing. And then he had this yacht called the Harmony that he would like literally be out there like rigging it and everything. And that was his favorite thing. But he lost his money. So like they sold the studio, they sold his yacht. And like once those two things kind of happened right around the same time as like when he just really you could really see he took a no side also he was dating for a while uh christine mcvee from fleetwood mac that was a thing like they were oh, wow. in, in the late 70s early 80s he could because they were trying they were trying to sell the studio when they needed the money they tried to sell it to fleetwood mac and i i can't i don't think fleetwood mac bought it but he became good friends with and and they got in a relationship with christine mcvee and it was uh which is just a whole i mean just imagine like hanging out in the like the late seventies, early eighties in LA, and you just see like a member of Fleetwood Mac and Dennis Wilson just shacking up together. <laughs> and that's what's cool about being out here in LA now is like, you know, when you grow up on the East Coast, you go to all those historical places. You go to Gettysburg, is only a few hours away. You go to all these old battlegrounds from the seventeen hundreds. But out here, everything is all newer history. So, you know, 15 minutes from here, I could go to the house where Brian Wilson recorded pets or where he wrote pet sounds. I could go up to Spawn Ranch. That's 15 minutes that way. Like, it's pretty crazy out here that you go to all these places. And I think one of the saddest things about Dennis Wilson's death is he drowned diving off a pier looking to see what he could find at the bottom like of, on the floor, he was trying to find stuff that he could most likely pawn and get some money because he was broke. And it was stuff that he it was in, I believe, the slip or near the slip where he kept his old yeah. yacht. So and throughout the years, he would like throw stuff off of it. So literally he was going down and trying to pick up, literally pick up his past. Yeah. And, uh, Apparently he like may they they speculated that when he was coming up, he hit his head on the concrete. And that just knocked him out. And then he wound up drowning. And uh, he was when he 
when he did pass away, he was given, which is like very rare for a civilian, somebody not in the military. He was giving a, given an official burial at sea. Like they, they buried him uh, in the Pacific, which I thought was which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, oh I didn't know that. Yeah. It's fascinating. I'm, but I'm I, learning new shit. <laughs> I mean, it, it's crazy to think that of the Wilson brothers, Brian's the only one that's alive. He's the one that Lambert. survived. Yeah, that is yeah. crazy. Yeah, he, he's the he oldest. Seems he's like, the oldest. He was the oldest, yeah. and and with his drug abuse, it it seemed like he probably should have been the one that died first. For sure. And you know, Carl Wilson is the only one that, like, when you look at him throughout this whole thing, like, he was like such a great guy. He was very even keeled. He was always kind of for. I mean, Brian wrote "God Only Knows." for carl wilson to perform like it's his voice was perfect for it. he was a very spiritual guy so brian wrote it for him and uh you know he wound up dying of cancer i forget what year but man like when you see brian wilson live or you could see videos on youtube where like when he'll have god only knows in the background on the projector screen they'll have carl wilson or he'll also have them play forever and on the video screen, it'll be Dennis Wilson singing it, and they're using his vocal track. And, he's and when you see watching. those videos, Brian's just staring at the screen, just like clearly so devastated every time because he misses them so much. It's profoundly sad. Yeah, there's a clip. Yeah, I think I, I think we're talking about the same one that I saw. They're performing forever on the 2012 yeah. tour. And Mike says, we're going to have Dennis on the screen with us. And Brian, without a, skipping a beat, just turns and faces the screen the whole time. Yeah. And it, oh, it's, it's beautifully sad. I got to see that. I've yeah, never seen it. They, they should do hologram Dennis now, though. <laughs> they should. <laughs> they should have hologram Dennis and Carl. I mean, they did just sign a huge deal with their with their music catalog to like keep the legacy of the beach boys going yeah they, so they i wouldn't sold. yeah i wouldn't count it out to be honest yeah <laughs> yeah yeah M- once mike Love I- hears about that he'll be like oh yeah for sure sign me up i'm into it <laughs> yeah. we're good to go. that'd be funny if they started I- using a hologram mike love while he was still alive <laughs> <laughs> that had more charisma than him <laughs> yeah i hope they'd amp up his stats on that program do you know I read I, I I I was just reading some interesting things about them. So they have 36 top 40 singles, which is the most of any band in American history. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And it's crazy to think that Kokomo was their biggest hit ever. <laughs> right. Which yeah. that had to have been like one. Mike Love's Revenge, right? Like oh, I, I sure. fucking told you guys this is what the people want, these dumb surf songs. <laughs> Yeah, just name a bunch of islands and then make up one and bam, success. <laughs> Done. And I also another thing uh, that I'll add in one more time is uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was kind of locked down, I uh, I was like, you know what? I want to go out and explore some of these places. And I actually went to where the Beach Boys grew up, which is in Hawthorne, which uh, now is a very, I guess, dangerous area. But they do have a memorial there, or not a memorial, but a um, a like uh, a plaque you show. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a plaque, and it just kind of says like, "Oh, this is where the Beach Boys' house was." But then they built, I guess, part of a highway. I think it was like, I forget what highway, but yeah, it's pretty neat, and you could go there and see where they lived. 
that, that's great. And I, I have to say that um, I had a moment. We're, we're all comedians here, and you know that moment of just uh, you know, sure that you made it, and that you know, okay, things are I've I've done it or or, or whatever. Um, I opened for this is like 2014 or so. Uh, I I opened for Bob Saget a bunch of times, and Bob was like really good to me, and like you you know he was great. And we had always I thought I'm sorry for a second. I thought you said Bob Seger, and I was I, Bob Seger, right, I was yeah. like what? It was, those, it was those Hollywood nights. I don't like to talk about it. He literally walks in the room every time, uh, like Tom Cruise with like uh, just a shirt and stock and slides in. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So no. So I, I, I opened for Saget and, and I became friends with him. And he, he was just, a, he's been a great guy to me. And we would always talk music and he was always a Beach Boys fan and literally knows them through Stamos because he was like, and then became friends with all of these guys, you know, in the eighties. And, and he was like, oh, if they're ever in town, you know, I could, I'd get you tickets or whatever, you know? So, and I had, you know, just growing up, gone to see them. And like my brother and I would like take my parents if like Brian Wilson's coming to town or whatever. So it just so happened we were playing Bob and I were doing the Borgata in Atlantic city on a Saturday night. Again, it's like 2014. I think the night before the, I just noticed, like I was looking on the website, the beach boys were playing the same room that we were going to be playing the next night. So I, so I asked him and he was like, Oh, let me see. I see what I can do. He got us. Uh, he got me four uh, tickets and four backstage passes to see the beach boys and meet the beach boys so i got to bring my uh got to bring my parents backstage oh, to meet that's a the cool beach boys, wow. circle that's moment, which was like you. they were just like the biggest fans in the world and of course it, you know and you know i we would have loved to have obviously met brian it was basically just it was mike love and bruce johnston and uh we saw like mike love kind of did the meet and greet talked to us for two seconds took a picture but then like bruce johnston was like the sweetest guy and was like talking to us forever and was just, like it was a really nice guy and uh but yeah it was just it was just neat to be like that was kind of like the moment where like my parents were always like yeah this comedy thing and they're like all right your dumb jokes got us to meet the beach boys so i guess <laughs> just go ahead and do whatever you want and it was also the moment you became their favorite child for sure hands down oh, absolutely yes you can't yeah, my you brother can't and his eat with that yeah my brother and his house and his wife and his two kids yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no. I, they, and, they got to meet the beach boys and one more parallel to everything uh is with the full house beach boys connection is Jeff Franklin, uh, uh, which was the creator of full house now lives on the land where the Sharon Tate house was, where the Manson murders happened. They demolished really? the house in 1994. He bought it in 2001, I think, and built this huge, like Italian looking villa, uh, on that site. And uh, I actually heard a Bob Saget story he told on a podcast where he said he went there for a, a holiday party and they were doing karaoke and he went up there and sang Helter Skelter, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little ballsy, too, uh, though. I don't know if I would be like, you know what, build me a house uh, on the same spot and hopefully yeah. nobody's still holding a grudge against the Beach Boys. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. That's great. All right. Isn't, and I could be wrong. Isn't that the house? Because if they were, it was tor torn down in 94, didn't Trent Reznor, isn't that yes, where he, he recorded did. the Downward Spiral? Downward yeah. Spiral, he recorded there. I didn't and know he that. actually, yeah. he took the door that had Pig written on it in blood. He That's took right. that door and put it at his studios in New Orleans, which also like, you know, obviously it's pretty cool. If you had the money, you'd be like, oh, sure, I'd stay 
at this house, you know, for a couple of nights or something. But he said he ran, apparently he ran into Deborah Tate, who was Sharon's sister at one point when he was, you know, living in the house. And she was like, are you exploiting my sister's death? And he was like, oh no, I had no idea and all this stuff. But like, clearly he was for sure. But he said he felt bad about it. But considering the fact that he took the door, I don't think he did. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. Man. All right. Well, on that note, um, who's got anything to plug Max? Where can, where can people find you? Uh, I'll be doing a string of shows in Denver, April 4th through the 10th. You could go to my website, maxisyourfriend.com. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at Max Antonucci and that's about it. Chip, and yeah. I'll be moving back to New Jersey in June. I know I'm excited. Oh, I, where in, uh, where in Jersey are you moving to? Uh, I'm going to be back in Jersey city. Nice. Oh, that's great, man. That's great. Good I'm excited for you to come Good. back. Me too. Yeah. Just in time for the world to open. We can hang out again. Yes. Yeah. All right. Chip, you got anything? Uh, I'm doing a show just on Zoom. If everybody, anybody's listening, doing a show on Zoom with my good friends from Philly, uh, Mary Rudzinski, James Heskey, and David James. We're doing a just a comedy show on Zoom on March 20th. And you can check, you can get tickets for that or check out anything just by following me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, just at Chip Chantry. And uh, all the information will be there. James Heskey is one of the funniest people I know. That's so funny. He, he, he so makes funny. me laugh. He's on on uh, social media. He's he's in my top five favorite people that that make yeah. me laugh the most consistently. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Yeah, definitely follow. I think it's just at James Heskey. Hilarious. Yeah. And uh, Ken, what do you got? Um, I have. Uh, you can follow me at Ken Krantz Comic, um, Twitter, Instagram. I'll be in uh, Farmingdale, New Jersey. Um, next Friday, the 19th with Jessica Curson. Um, I should probably know the name of the place or when it is. Um, I'm sure there's not a whole lot of comedy clubs in Farmingdale, but I don't. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, you know what? Just fucking Google Jessica Curson Farmingdale. It's it, it's at some restaurant. And, um, also I want to give a shout out to Eric Harrison who does our intro and outro music. It's, uh, it's his new single. Um, so go follow him and, and download Eric Harrison's crash course music and chip will be back next week with another guest and, uh, another band. Yeah. And Guys. thanks Max so much for, uh, for, for joining us. And yeah. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Max, I was very great. excited for this one. Thank you. Yeah. We'll have you at Max's. Um, Max knows everything about Bob Dylan too. So when we when we do a Dylan <laughs> oh, well, episode, we'll have we uh, de- we definitely have to uh, we definitely have to have you back. Oh, and you know, and we should tell uh, the listeners. And this is terrible. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, they should follow us. We do have official uh, on Twitter. Oh, yeah. We're at uh, 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 at I think it's at Rock and Roll Pod, right? Yes, at with rock the and, and spelled out. And yeah, Rock and at Rock and Roll Pod is our uh, is our twitter handle and i was um uh, it'll be up on uh, instagram as well too very soon so just definitely follow us there and uh, yeah let us know what you think if you have ideas for other shows uh, other topics for you know bands artists we'd love to hear from you yeah tweet 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 us your ideas i don't know why i just said tweet three times in a row that actually sounded <laughs> like tweet, a beach tweet boys those song ideas. <laughs> and yeah. he well, said tweet tweet tweet, tweet, tweet. tweet all, the ideas. all right guys <laughs> 
Uh, I'll, I'll go wrap up with Kahuna and we'll get this edited and we'll have it out soon. Guys, thanks, thanks so right. much, guys. This was really a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, Max. Yeah, you thank great. you, man. Thanks it was so great much for having doing it. it.